Okay. Good morning, church family. And I know that I say this all the time, I'm biased, but this is a good church home. I love that no matter, I was going to say, I love that no matter who they run up here, it sounds so good every week. Doesn't even matter. Such good teams. All right, let me, uh, oh, hey. Glad you can make it. Let me uh, do a couple of things real quick before we get rolling here, okay? Um, Fall Festival next Sunday, okay, remember? Register for that, okay? Register. I don't want to have to make a video on Wednesday begging you to register to bring everything. If you're part of the Heritage family, you bring everything. That way our guests are taken good care of, okay? The following Sunday, the big announcement on October 30th is that that is the day we are changing the service times, okay? So no longer... Um, 9 and 10.30, but instead, 9.30 and 11. Yeah, it's just, I sound like this is real serious, but it is. 9.30 and 11. So here's the deal. God is blessing. He's bringing people. Um, we are not a church that wants to celebrate numbers, but we are a church that wants to celebrate people wanting to come to hear the truth of the gospel and to act as a family uh, with Christ being the center. So if that's happening here, then I get excited that people are coming. So if you look around, it's pretty full. A couple weeks ago, we had to bring in some chairs, and it was just a normal Sunday. So the reason for the t- changing of the times is that I hope that for some of you, 11 o'clock sounds too late, and that instead you will start coming to 9.30, where we have a few extra seats. Also, I wouldn't mind asking that some of you would pray and say, maybe God is telling us we should go down there, or maybe we should... Uh, serve at the 11 o'clock hour in children's ministry and we should come and worship as a family at 9.30. There's all kinds of options, but we want to try to make as much room for people as possible moving forward. So that's October 30th, so put that on your calendar. Worst case scenario, if you forget, you're just going to be here 30 minutes early. Not that big a deal, but, but just know about it. So 9.30 and 11 starting on October 30th. We are uh, in a very... Interesting, at least for me, it's been interesting, sermon series on the story of David and Goliath. And some of you are very, um, you were wondering if we could actually get four whole weeks out of this. But here we are, we're only into Act 3, and we're not even halfway done, we're, we're, we're slowly moving along. I hope that you are getting a lot of the details out of it, like I have been. I've been loving studying for this. And so here we are, Act 3 today, 1 Samuel 17. And I know that all of my illustrations are about sports, but it's just because I don't know about anything else, really. But the other night I was watching a football game, and it was the Ravens against the Bengals, and the Ravens kicker is Justin Tucker, and he runs out in the fourth quarter and kicks a field goal. And this statistic comes up on the TV. Listen to this. This guy, Justin Tucker, the kicker for the Ravens, has now made 61 consecutive field goals in the fourth quarter or overtime. So when it matters. He's also in his career, listen to this, 18 for 18 field goals within the final minute of a game. 100%, never missed. You, you're not impressed. I am overly impressed that he has never missed a field goal in the last minute of the game. You ever seen a field goal kicker run out in a football game and the guy on TV goes, this guy never misses these, and as soon as he kicks it, he misses it? 
That's never happened to this guy. He always makes it. Do you have any idea how much confidence his team must have when they need a field goal to win a game at the end of a game? They run him out there. Like, if it's Sunday night and it's 11-15, you can turn your TV off, go to sleep, because he's, he's making it. He's not missing. He, he's, he's 100%, okay? And his team knows it. He's going to make the kick. He's going to deliver the Ravens a victory, and everyone's going to be excited. He's done it so many times in the past that there's no reason to doubt that he will do it again in the future. This is what it is like for the people of God who know the gospel and the faithfulness of God. It's what you're sharing earlier. It's what we're singing about. Okay? I love the lyrics from the song uh, by Elevation Music. I know Hux likes them. Okay? And it's called Do It Again. And it says, I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way when there was no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You see, that's the confidence that the gospel comes with. Don't you feel that if you know Christ? The apostle Paul knew it. In Romans 8, 32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul knew. If God gave us his own son to die for us, that's the gospel message. Won't he do all these other things on our behalf as well? Of course he will. Because of, what has God, because of what God has done in the past, we can trust him with our present and even with our future. And you need to trust and believe that. Knowing the gospel message, you know, what God has done for us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, it gives us so much confidence moving forward. That's why Christians ought to be the most joyful, confident people walking the whole planet. Because we know our God is faithful. He's done it before, he'll do it again. Now, at this point, some of you are saying, Brian, I thought we were talking about David and Goliath. Why are you up on the gospel and Jesus? And I would just answer you, I think that the story of David and Goliath is all about Jesus, okay? And so you got to get your antennas up. That's what I tell my kids when they read their Bible. Got to get those antennas up. Don't just read it and came in here and tell me that you read your Bible. What, what were you hearing? What, did you sound anything sound familiar to you? Did anything sound like you had heard it before? Is it connected to something else? And when we read the Old Testament, we've got to have our gospel antennas up because, yes, the Old Testament is about the gospel of Jesus. In fact, one of my favorite verses to prove that the Old Testament is important is the first verse of the New Testament. If you want, you can turn to it. It's Matthew 1.1. And if you're a Bible knower, you're like, hey, isn't that the genealogy stuff? Yeah, it's the genealogy stuff. Matthew 1.1. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of who? See, told you. <laughs> this is why we have to preach the Old Testament. The story of David is crucial background to the gospel of Jesus. Think about it. The parts of the gospel have their roots in 1 Samuel when God, what? He, he chose a king for himself. King? See, that you should be underlining, circling the word king anytime you see it in the Bible because Jesus is our ultimate king. And so this whole stuff that started in 1 Samuel with the first king given to the people of Israel, this is absolutely significant, a big root of the gospel of Jesus a thousand years later. So we need to know that. So I hope today as we read, you've got your gospel antennas up. When you study 1 Samuel, you need to have that up all the time. We left off last week. Remember young little David? He was running around the camp bothering everybody because he was just saying stupid, silly things. He was, he was saying, hey, what's the spoils for the person that beats up Goliath and wins the battle? 
Oh, gonna get all the money and the king's daughter? That sounds good. You know, I'm 13, but she, you know, she'll be great one of these days. And and then he's like, I mean, who is this guy acting like it's no big deal? This nine foot, nine inch Goliath monster champion of the Philistines who was completely prepared for battle in all of his armor and gear, his sword. He had been a soldier since he was a little kid. And his whole life, basically, he was the champion for the Philistines. And everyone is scared. Every time he comes out for 40 days, the Israelites run Run for cover, and here's this little teenage boy, David, running around going, who's this guy I think he is? And he's bothering everybody. Well, let's pick up today. Act 3, if you will. We're in 1 Samuel 17 again. We've made it to verse 31. And I'm going to read just the whole passage, 31 to 40, before we get going today. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Can we pray? Father, you go before us into whatever battlefield is before us. You do not pick and choose which things that we will face that you will lead us into, but you lead us before all things. You have been faithful in the past. Father, give us courage in your gospel message to trust you with our present and with our future. Calm our fears and anxieties. Remind us of your faithfulness. Teach us your word today, and I pray that your spirit is active in helping helping us to apply it to our lives. We love you, Lord. Amen. So David, his words have made their way to the king, King Saul. It says, when the words David spoke were heard, they were repeated before Saul, and he sent for them, for him. Let's remember some of David's words. What did he say? He said back in verse 26, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I think three things that David's words do. Number one, it put Goliath in his place. He says, this uncircumcised Philistine. Goliath was not part of the covenant people of God. 
He was not. He was a worshiper of dead gods, no gods at all. And if God, the covenant God of Israel, who had rescued them before, was still their God, why is this overgrown worshiper of dead gods acting like this, and why are the Israelites afraid? So he put Goliath in his place. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Nobody at all to be worried about. The second thing David's words do is it reminds us of the place that God holds. He says, God is the living God, the only God. Goliath is, is not only insulting the Israelite army, but by association, he is insulting the only true living God, God of creation, God of rescuing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, God of the flood, God of promises. He is the one true living God, and he is faithful. And so David's words remind us of the place that God holds. Finally, if you will, David's words put the Israelites in their place because by telling them, hey, remember, uh, he's insulting the army of the living God. He's saying, you guys are the army of the living God. We should not be afraid and cowering at the, at the sight of this giant just because he's big. We need to remember that we are the army of the one true living God. And if he goes before us, there is no enemy that can defeat us, period. End of sentence. David is, is very confident in all of his words. Now, you can imagine, 40 days have gone by now, and morning and night, Goliath comes out and makes his threat. Saul, just kind of sitting on his hands, the leader, the king, the one that had been made king so that he would defeat the Philistines. And he's got nothing, doing nothing, hoping for something, I guess. He starts throwing out this rumor that if somebody would be willing to go out and fight Goliath, I'll give him a bunch of money in my daughter's hand and their family will be free forever. And he was hoping somebody would take him up on the offer. But for 40 days, nothing had happened. And then in walks little David. I think Saul was probably, as he heard, someone had volunteered, kind of hoping at least it was one of the bigger guys on the you know, in the army. He said, well, okay, well, maybe I forgot about somebody that was a, a good champion, someone that could fight for us. No, in walks this little teenager, young, small David. Verse 32. David said to Saul. Now, now, first of all, at the end of chapter 16, we get this story of David helping Saul with this evil spirit. It is possible that our narrator put some things out of order so that we, the reader, would know what was going on, that we would see God at work in David's life and be expecting something big when we got to Goliath. Because at the end of this story next week, Saul's going to act like he doesn't even know who David is. So it might not make sense that it's all perfectly chronological, okay? But if that is the case, this is the first time little David has ever met King Saul. And who took control of the conversation? David said to Saul, here's his message, let no man's heart fail because of him. Have no fear. Don't be afraid. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David, this newly anointed king chosen by God, Saul, the acting king who had been rejected by God and who had had God's spirit leave him, and David walks into his tent or somewhere in the camp and says, hey, let me, let me take control of this conversation. Don't worry about this guy. Don't let your heart fail. Your servant will go and fight him. Fear not. 
Saul, I mean, Saul's an adult man. He is the king. I mean, he's not just, uh, you know, he's pretty smart and intelligent. He was a good warrior. He was big and strong. He was the hope of Israel. And here's this teenager going, no, I got this. Don't be afraid. And Saul's got to be thinking, this sounds ridiculous. We are afraid. We're all afraid. Every time the guy comes out and yells at us, we turn and run. We're afraid. You're 12. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay? But David says this, two parts to his message. Fear not. And your servant will fight. Now, I hope you've got your gospel antennas up. Because if you do, did you hear that? Did you notice the message? Fear not, your servant will fight. Do David's words sound familiar? It is a gospel message. Now, maybe not at this moment in biblical history, the specific message of Jesus Christ. But it is those, those roots of the gospel message coming out. But I am hearing something. And it's also not the first time we've heard this message even in the history of Israel. Do you remember what Moses said to the Israelites as they got to the Red Sea and they were being chased by Pharaoh and the Egyptians? Do you remember that? And they, they all turned against Moses and they said, why did you bring us out here just so we could die in the wilderness? Pharaoh and his army is coming. There's a big sea in front of us. We got no hope. There is no chance that we're going to be rescued. Why did you do this? Do you remember what Moses said to them? Look at this with me. I got it on the screen. Exodus 14, verse 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, isn't that awesome? Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. This is sort of this gospel message that is going through the Old Testament. Moses to the Israelites, now David to Saul, fear not. Your servant will fight for you. Do you hear it? Are you hearing it? David uses the word servant or slave, which is very interesting because this is the same word that Goliath used a couple weeks ago when he was making fun of the Israelite army. Do you remember? He said, do you really want to fight me? Say, look at me. I'm the Philistine. You guys are just Saul's slaves, servants. In a derogatory way, he was making fun of them. But here... David considers it an honor. Your servant, your slave, Saul, I will go and I will fight. David sees things differently. Verse 33. Saul says to David, I don't know how long he waited listening to this kid ramble on, but he says, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth. He has been a man of war from his youth. Saul saw what any of us would have seen. He just saw a little kid. You know, if we were all literally fixing to stand up and go to war, us men would get together and figure it out. And if our little eight-year-old son came up with his Nerf sword and said, hey, I'm going to go too, we would say, buddy, I love you, but you're not going into war. And Saul is looking at this young man going, hey, don't have any fear. I'll take care of it. And Saul's looking at him trying to figure out if this is a joke or not, you know, like, well, I asked somebody to go out there and do it. I wasn't expecting this. This is very unexpected. If I send him out, somebody will sue me. I don't even know this guy's father. Um, you know, but, you know, I don't know what to think about this. But he just tells him, you can't go. You're a kid. Goliath has been a soldier all his life. Now, because of the order of our story, we know something Saul didn't know, don't we? Because we've read chapter 16 where God chose for a king himself and anointed David, and the Spirit of God rushed on David 
from that point forward. So while Saul is saying, you can't go out and fight this guy, we, the listeners, are going, I don't know, give me a chance. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see, get the little guy out there. I mean, no one else is doing anything, and we know he's got the Spirit of God on him. Let's see what happens. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, now listen, Saul, he, he's trying to encourage him. Your servant himself, David, used to keep sheep for his father. He's like telling a story about shepherding. But listen, it's pretty impressive. He says, when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. I mean, I met a guy in Africa once who had killed a lion. The most impressive man I've ever met. So this is pretty impressive. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, on, at first glance, it sounds like David is kind of like sharing with Saul his resume trying to give him reasons why he should be okay with him going out and fighting. Like, I got a chance, man. I've killed lions and bears, okay? I'm really good at fighting with my hands. And like I said, to me, that sounds pretty good. But Saul was probably thinking, okay, little boy, you know, I know that you fought some animals in the field, but this is a nine-foot-nine, okay, huge soldier, ready for battle. I mean, he hits you one time, it's over, okay? He's scary. In fact, Saul doesn't even respond to David's, David's plea. I imagine Saul is pacing back and forth in his tent, not knowing what to do about this whole thing, listening to this young, small teenager and talking about bears and lions and that he wants to go fight this champion, Goliath, that we've all been afraid of for 40 days. I say Saul doesn't respond because the next verse starts with, and David said. So David just continues. He, he interrupts the silence. Look at verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Do you hear the confidence in David's words? I mean, what's so funny? I mean, he's saying, Look, I got this. And, and, and because of what God has done in the past, David was confident he could trust God. David wasn't trying to tell Saul, I'm the best fighter with my hands because I've beaten lions and bears. He's saying, I have God on my side. God delivered me from the lion and the bear. And that same God will deliver me from Goliath. He knew this. David, in fact, later in his life, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 27, listen to what David wrote, Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David was facing a different foe at that time, but I wonder if he thought back to when he whooped up on Goliath and thought, who should I be afraid of? If the Lord is with me, whom shall I fear? I know that was a spoiler alert, and I forgot to say that, but come back, you know, October 30th anyways. So Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. So he's flip-flop. You can't go. Okay, now you go. And then he says, you know, it seems like David's convincing. Verse 38. But then Saul immediately starts thinking like the world thinks again. Saul clothed David with his armor. 
Not David's armor, Saul's armor. Remember, Saul was a head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. He was a big guy. We're talking about David, a little teenager, okay? So it'd be like, you know, that time Sidney wanted me to wear his cloak to marry somebody in. It just, that's not going to work. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm just going to wear my own clothes. Thank, thank you, though. Verse 38, Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, of armor. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. I've not tested them. So David put them off. Saul was still seen as man sees, wasn't he? He assumed, okay, David, I'm going to let you go. But if you're going to go, you got to fight the way the world fights. Even though David had already explained to him that the Lord would be the one doing the delivering on this day. Saul still didn't understand. He couldn't see David going out without armor or without a sword. If David was going to fight, Saul thought, man, you need the right resources to go out and fight. So he starts putting his armor on this little David. And first he puts the helmet of bronze on this little boy. Now, do you remember? I, I took Braxton and Ainsley when the new Cowboy Stadium was open in Dallas a bunch of years ago. Braxton was two. And we went into the locker room and toured. And he put this helmet on his head. Man, that was fun. That was fun, you know. But he couldn't play football in that. That would be silly, right? Well, imagine little David with this great big bronze helmet. And it's like flopping all over. And Saul's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll just tape it up, you know. And <laughs> you, you need this helmet. And he puts this big armor on him. And, and David's just kind of standing there. You know, he can't even move his arms. He's like that little boy in the Christmas story. He can't put his arms down. Just keeps, <laughs> just keeps going up. Remember that? And he's like walking around with his head, and then he's like, here, hold my sword. You know, kind of swing it around, see if you can get comfortable. And David's thinking, Saul, this, this isn't going to work. I, I remember when we were preparing to plant Harris Community Church 15 years ago. Me and Sid, we had no clue what we were doing. You, most of you think we still don't. We, <laughs> it's true. We went to conferences and we read books. We thought, this is what you got to do. You got to know some stuff if you're going to plant a church. We got to listen to people that have done it before and read their books. And, and these people, do you remember the list of things they thought we should have? You know, they said, well, you got to have $150,000 and you got to have this building in case things go good. And, you know, you need to have at least a certain amount of people to start with so it doesn't just fail right off the bat. And we thought, we don't have any of that stuff. And these were well-meaning people, I think, but, but in my mind now, 15 years later, I think that's seen as the world sees. That's putting your trust in the right resources rather than in God's calling on your life. And, and, and not that there's anything wrong with those things, but we didn't have that stuff. And I'm thankful that, you know, what we had and what Sid was leading us to was a belief that God had called us out to do this. And we are always going to look at Christ to lead the way, no matter what is coming before us, no matter what resources we have or don't have. So here's little David. He's got the helmet and armor on. It's way too big, carrying a sword. He couldn't have swung it. He says to Saul, I can't use this stuff. I've not tested it. He takes it all off. I've never fought like this. So David lays it down, and he goes with what he knows. Look at verse 40. He took his staff in his hand. And he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. You know what? 
Brian was asking me this week about the five stones, you know, or is that number five, are these stones something special? And I read everything I could read. I don't think so. I think what was happening was this little boy was going to a brook like he had done many times before, before he was going to go hunting. And he, and he reached down in the brook and he got his five stones, put them in his pouch, had his sling and had his shepherd, his shepherd's staff, and he walked off into the battlefield, just like he had done before. But this time he was going with what? The Spirit of the Lord on him. Didn't matter that he was going to face an enemy that was bigger and stronger than enemy, any enemy he had faced to that point. But I, I can picture this kind of scene there. Saul has gone through all of this stuff with him, all the armor of, of the worldly armor, and Saul's armor is laying here. And Saul is kind of at the door of his tent, if you will, as David goes to the brook to get the stones and this king from whom the spirit of the Lord had departed. He's not who he used to be. He definitely hadn't reached his potential or accomplished his purpose as king. The Israelites had high hopes for Saul. Remember, they wanted him to be the king that made them like every other nation. But those, those hopes have not come to fruition. And there he stands without God's spirit, without any courage or leadership of his own, watching as this young, small David goes off to face Goliath. David, on the other hand, he goes with God's spirit. He goes with courage. He goes with confidence that God is going to deliver. That's that gospel message that's ringing today. Don't let your heart fail. Don't be afraid. Your servant will go. Now, fast forward some 1,000 years to Bethlehem, because that's right where we were last week. What did the angels say to the shepherds in the same gospel message? The shepherds were abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and the angels said to them, what? Fear not. Don't let your heart fail. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news with great joy. A Savior is born. There is a champion coming for you. You see, our story in 1 Samuel 17 is not a picture for us to say, oh, I hope I can be a hero like David. But it's for us to say we have in Jesus the ultimate David. We have in Jesus the ultimate hero. We have in Jesus the ultimate servant. He is the servant that, that came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and fight our greatest battle against sin and death for us. This is why we can sing those words in the song before the throne of God above. The words say, one with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. If I am one with him, I cannot die. Brian, how can you say that? Because even when we come face to face with death in this world, which is the great enemy here on earth, if we are in Christ, we know that he has already walked through that door for us and has come out of the grave a victor. We can have that confidence. For us, in Christ, death is just the ushering us into the eternal presence of our hero, Jesus. There's nothing to fear, no matter how great our enemy might be. Here's your main idea, takeaway for the day. When you trust God for the victory, you can have confidence he will deliver. Period, end of the sentence. Are you trusting God for the victory today? Or are you still trusting in worldly resources? Are you seeing as God sees or are you seeing as the world sees? 
Do you let God take you to a certain point, but then once we get so far, you go, okay, I better take the reins back, make sure we got everything in place and organized right so we do it the right way, or do you completely put 100% of your faith in him because he's been faithful before and he'll do it again, amen? Let's pray. Father, you are the one true God, and you go before us No matter the enemy, no matter the size of the situation that we face, we know that because you have been faithful before, we can trust you to be faithful in our present and in our future. Father, take away our anxieties and our fears about the future. Teach us how to lay them all at your feet and be so confident the way young little David was confident as he picked up his stones and walked straight toward the enemy, knowing he was filled with your spirit. Fill us with your presence, Lord. I pray that we would walk out these doors full of your spirit, knowing that when we walk into the darkness of the world, you go before us, and that this gospel message will be on the tip of our tongue with every person we meet, that we might share your rescue with them. Thank you for our champion, Jesus. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. We'll see you at the Fall Festival next week, and we finish up on the 30th.